0: On tonight's episode, the referees of the Premier League appear to be hitting a crisis of their own. What's going wrong at Old Trafford as United see red again? All this and much more in the Toki Taka podcast. On the panel today, we have RK and Radhaji. RK, how have you been? what's it been for you uh, united potentially lurching into a full-blown full-blown crisis or is it a
1: blip even now i don't know how do you call it it's it's definitely not lurching anymore into a full-blown crisis it's it's a proper full-blown crisis 9 points from 7 games in the league two losses in the champions league on the brink of i would say it's it's looking very bleak how United would qualify for the next uh, stage from this kind of form. So losing every other match definitely it's we are in the right in the middle bang in the middle of a full blown uh, you know full blown crisis injury wise still a crisis. So you know uh, you know there's no real good news around the club right now ownership still how it was one year back. So all things considered you know this is the first I I never thought that there would be questions around Eric Ten Hag. Uh, in in September and October. So, that's where we are. Uh, but for me, you know, the moment of the week, of course, was something more than United. It's something that you were, you were referencing. And, you know, during the match, we I, I remember how all of us, basically, who were watching it live and commenting, was, were like, how is this not uh, on-site? And, you know, once all the details unraveled one after the other, uh, that you know, all the you know, mega bloopers one after the other, it it, it was a real comic show. So, I, I I think that's my talking moment of the week over and above United.
0: Yeah, really well done, guys. Job well done. This was well done. The referee telling the war, the war telling the assistant war, extremely fun. And all through this, Radhaji was shaking his head, going, Nope, <laughs> I want a replay. Radhaji, do so, so you, know, you Radhaji still want a replay?
1: Uh, swag in the whole, you know, well process. That when me and up pointed out that, you know, this is not offside. So, uh, uh, you know, Ratha was very matter of fact that uh, it's it's a normal, you know, uh, like real time offside. Like, like, what's the problem and all? Then, then he realized, okay.
2: Yeah. So when I when I saw it on real time, I thought it looked offside. And then when I saw the replay, I'm like, okay, they've clearly not shown us the right replay, the real replay. Because after they gave it off, said, yeah, it must not have been this view that we saw. I want to see the real one. And then, oh man, what transpired.
0: Yeah. And on that related note, is that your talking point as well, Radhaji? Or are you plumping for something else? Maybe something more positive? I'm going
2: for a, yeah, I'm going for a positive, uh, considering the rest of this episode is only going in one direction. That's completely downhill from a, from a, a, op, like a mood point of view for me. So I'm going to go Darwin Nunez, who played a grand total of zero minutes in the game against Tottenham Hotspur. But social media is just full of clips of Darwin Nunez after the game. And you can see that he's got some fire in him, this guy. He went up to the crowd. He was being restrained by the assistant coach as soon as the final whistle blew because he just charged onto the pitch ready to fight with anybody and everybody. And he was just celebrating with the crowd. He is punching his badge and riling the crowd up after it. I think he just symbolizes the feeling of the Liverpool fan group right now, which is a lot of siege mentality. And there's a lot of... Just, okay, let's see what you can do next kind of uh, mentality going on within the fan group. And Darwin is at the forefront of that. So, yeah, for me, he was my takeaway for positive takeaway for this season. Zero minutes played. He would have come on and maybe changed the game before that second red card. But he sat on the bench and then played a part after the game. And the whole fan group is now completely behind him. So, yeah, Darwin Nunez is my talking
0: mom. Yeah, before we get into the Liverpool game, Liverpool's first game in more detail, uh, my talking point was uh, if you know that Chelsea beat Fulham 2-0, and Mikhailo Modric, the man who inspired a thousand memes finally scored his first goal for the club and uh, it later emerged that there was footage as soon as he scored the goal, you can see in the background that Enzo and Caicedo turned to each other and they're so happy that they hug each other because Mudrik has finally scored or Chelsea has finally scored after something like 300 odd minutes in the Premier League. So um, I think many friendships are born out of adversity and this might be something that uh, if we don't get points maybe we'll it'll, it's not the points; it's the friends we make while on the journey that matters so yeah that's that's my silver lining from the current Swag, crisis. That's... there's
2: two there's 225 million pounds between them i think everybody can give a rat's ass whether they're friends or not as long as they deliver
0: i'm just trying to look for silver linings amongst the crisis clouds right now But yeah, let's come to the Liverpool-Spurs game, the thing that's hot property right now. Even as we speak, I think Klopp has just gone on and said uh, it should be replayed. That's the only logical explanation. Uh, Just just talk us through what your thought process was. Of course, at that point, as you said, you felt like, okay, this is not a regular offside. Maybe we are not seeing the correct view. But then at the press conference, I think, the post-match press conference, that was when it emerged that, okay, Pogmal did admit again that they made an error. There was a human error of judgment and things like that, etc., etc. And was it yesterday that the audio was released? And it's basically, it's it's a bit like the movie Inception where it's going down levels of shit. Like you went down level of dreams in that movie. Now you're going levels of shit down. First you have the error, then you have the acknowledgement of the error and a weirdly stated uh, stated message then you have the audio which basically just apart from the error just the chaos of uh the entire process of four people shouting at each other how how is a war guy even supposed to make a decision is my first question okay
2: so i'm gonna get some easy stuff out of the way about the game i think Very heroic performance from Liverpool. A lot of the siege mentality thing is also behind the performance. that We were the better team with 11 men. We were the better team with 10 men in the first half. Uh, In the second half, I think they had their chances, but we looked like we could score as well with 10 men. When it went to 9 men, just pure heroic. Um, I I loved it. Loved the boys. Great job. Okay, now let's come to what everybody has been talking about for the last one week. Okay, so the rules apparently state that once play has restarted, you can't be bringing it back or you can't correct it. Why are you here? Why is VAR here? VAR is here to solve a problem which is about ruling out such stupid errors. And that is the core reason for its existence. And if you're going to then... Lean on a technicality and say that, oh, I can't undo a colossal error because it's been seven seconds since they kicked off play. That's just absolutely ridiculous. I just don't understand the point of this war if it can't solve something. The second thing that bothers me, the communication. Check complete. That's the that's the official communication that, that such an important, crazy system works on. You just say check complete. You can't say goal. You can't say offside, onside. You can't do any of that. You just say check complete. There are like seven people talking to each other. Nobody could figure out that there's been a fucking howler, man. I I just don't understand how this could happen. Don't hide behind protocols. It's just ridiculous. They've given a penalty after the final whistle of a match. This same VAR system with all its protocols has done that. And you can't solve a problem which is just seven seconds of nothingness that happened. Immediately after that Liverpool conceded, we ended up losing the game. We've lost two leagues by one point in the last four years, five years. Don't tell us that this kind of shit can be just swept under the carpet with sorry. That just doesn't work. I think Howard Webb has lost his right to solve this problem behind closed doors. When you fuck up at work, people open a committee, they check the facts, somebody renders a decision. This needs to be like that, which has to be an independent review, not Howard Webb deciding how to solve this problem and what to do next. Somebody else needs to look into this entire thing and figure out what all is wrong with it. Communication is the bare minimum to fix. As a football fan, this needs to be better for every club. As a Liverpool fan, we are getting screwed like repeatedly now for questionable decisions. This one was just took it to the next level. So I'm happy if this if this auto-corrects in the opposite direction now, because this is not acceptable whatsoever.
1: Yeah, there are so many simple, you know, all of these things are so elementary, so simple that you can't even believe that these are the kind of things, you know, which are going wrong week in, week out. Like the the thing that struck me the most was now people are talking about a replay and how the result is so unfair and, you know, rightly so. But 10 seconds exactly what Radha was saying was the first thing that came to my mind back then as well. You're just 10 seconds into a restart. You have already realized when the final, you know, replays and everything came out yesterday, The this was the, you know, strong thing in my mind that 10 seconds into the restart, you know that you have, you know, massively made a blunder. You can still call it back. There's nothing that's happened. What's stopping you? I mean, just a literal rule that you that you can't basically do something once a game has restarted. And then people spend the next one week talking about how unjust this is and how this, the game should be replayed when you just needed to replay the last 10 seconds. That's it. Take the decision back. Give the goal. Nothing has changed start all over again. I I can't just fathom, okay, you made a mistake, which is inexplicable as it is. But once you realize that mistake, you can't do anything about it. That's something I can't understand. And, you know, I'm just looping back to something that happened in the United game as well, because I think this is the right time to talk about it. I I, I don't think it impacted the result because we were pathetic. But these kind of things, you know, where Joel Ward had his back to the ball, he had no idea or he had an idea that bruno was passing it to rash and he was already in a position to risk to face rash once rash got the ball the his hand is outstretched inside the box the ball strikes his hand for me it's a clear and obvious error of the defender it doesn't matter that he's not aware of the ball striking his hand it's it's a clear and obvious error by the player and it should be a penalty any time of the day because it denied us a shot or a you know attack on goal so all these kind of things the decisions that go on behind it what makes me think is if they are going to offer, you know, apologies and they are going to basically give audio footages, are they going to do that now for every decision because they need to, you can't just, you know, give footages. And I mean, it's, it's not worth anything to Liverpool. I know, but if you are going to do it for one decision, you better do it for every single decision then. And so one of the changes that needs to be made is just like, Europe, make everything transparent in live itself. Why, why have a question, which decision got replayed, and shown to the public later on, and which did not. Why have that unjustness? Show it live. Let everyone know in real time what's happening, so that there's nothing you know left for any secrecy.
2: Yeah, see, transparency is the answer. There is no other way to do this, and I think a lot of other sports do do it transparent, like transparently. You can you can hear what the commentator says. You can hear what the third umpire says in DRS uh, when it's happening uh, in cricket. You can apparently hear it in rugby, although I haven't watched it, but I've, I've read over the last one week that it happens in rugby as well. So, I mean, that is the way forward. The only thing, RK, that I will disagree with is, or not disagree with, um, the decision that you talked about in the United game is still something that people debate. Like, this happened in the, in this happened in games where I am, for example, personally, I am of the belief that if it's completely inadvertent, I feel like handball's need not be given. Now, at the same time, you feel that it was definitely an opportunity and it should have been given. But that is still a debate. These kinds of things, right? These kinds of things are exactly why VAR was brought in to prevent these stupid errors, but VAR caused this error. And it's not a debatable thing where we're talking about, okay, it's somebody's interpretation of uh, something and like, you know, somebody thinks that this is the way it should be applied. No, it's it's a basic error. And the words that they use were human error. You can't write this off as human error and just let it go. What's happening next? I need some action to happen. I need somebody's heads to roll on this. I need some future solution of this problem so that it never happens again to come out of this and i don't believe that howard webb and co are going to be the answer for that it has to be an independent third party investigation uh, proper rules and regulations are set up and they need to adhere by that it can't just be left as is and 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 you know Klopp said the same thing so Klopp did and now this is going to make the headlines for the next five days um Klopp said replay but in the same sentence Klopp says that replay We should, for me, it's so unprecedented that it should be a replay or you solve that problem during the match, which is what I think is the most logical thing for anyone to have done. He also said that, okay, you felt that enough time has passed on, get both of the managers together and just tell them, listen, managers, I've screwed up, let let Liverpool score a goal now and let's continue the match. That is also a more acceptable solution than now where we are and we're saying, oh no, let's replay the game or let's figure out what this is. And say I'm not one, I'm not one for the replay. It's not something that I subscribe to. But these are these are basic things that could have been done to solve. But that's coming to the other decision, right? Curtis, that's a perfect example of the acceptable form of um, a debate, right? Where Curtis, I feel like it's very unlucky, other people will feel like it's very dangerous, and there will always be debate on those, and they will always go sometimes your way, sometimes the other way. But again, now I'm, these guys are rule following and protocol following as right? So this is, this is what the protocol states. Slow motion replays are mainly used for factual situations. For example, to identify the point of contact of a physical offense or the position of an offense. Normal speed replays are used for subjective judgments. For example, to determine the intensity of an offense or whether or not a handball was punishable. Now, when he walked up to the screen, there was five seconds of a still image of curtis jones's boot on his shin obviously that's a red card if anybody sees that they're giving it a red card second every single video he saw after that was a slow motion video every single was a slow-mo which is not what you use to determine intensity or anything of that sort so there was a slow motion of front back side and then the one angle which they showed everybody on tv and they didn't show the VAR, was where he clearly gets the ball rolls over it gets the contact they didn't even show that angle. No, so so what rules and protocol are you even following? So, in the one hand, for the Diaz goal, oh listen, it's all protocol. I can't, my hands are up, I can't do anything. And then you don't follow your own protocol for slow motion and regular speed and stills. I just that's it's bullshit. I don't buy their argument. I think maybe the VAR thought that, hey, if let's just Leave this. Maybe nobody will bring it up after the game because nobody knows what we're talking about it anyway. And I'm glad that there's a lot of pressure on it. I'm okay for Liverpool to be completely unreasonable. Ask for three points. Ask for points to be added also. Be as unreasonable as possible. Get these guys to actually get their act together, man. We deserve some better quality. We've talked about it on this pod for almost every episode. And that's that's not
0: okay. Yeah, I... I do remember this has been a topic for us since last season. In fact, even at the end of last season, this was one of those things that we wanted to see bettered in the upcoming season. And seven games in, not only has it not been bettered, it's basically going down the drain. Uh, I am uh, reminiscent of uh, this thing that uh, Italy seems to be doing this better than the Premier League in terms of them having semi-automated uh, offside decisions, which happen real-time. They don't need the VAR intervention so much. There's not so much chaos. If a relatively poor or definitely poorer league can implement that technology, do it well, make it make sense, then why can't the Premier League do it? Is it? Is it... Uh, I mean, I don't subscribe to virtually any conspiracy theories but uh, is this something that the referees are pressuring the Premier League into? Is it the Premier League that's that's doing this? I, I have no idea but it it, do, it just doesn't make sense and as you said, it's not about Liverpool. It's not about United. It's about the incompetencies of the officials. There's this thing about them just having come back 48 hours ago from UAE having refereed a game there. I don't know. I, I don't consider that they would have uh, it would have been the fatigue because when you listen to the transcript there's nothing about the fatigue I'll just take a second why not just mention why what... not
2: swag I think all of us watched the game that Liverpool played uh, last week uh, the one against West Ham I think most of us would have watched it where we were the early kickoff after everybody got back on a Wednesday or a Thursday did anybody see how McAllister was in that game he was a completely different player he was completely a shadow of himself and this is a professional footballer one of the fittest people in the world and he clearly couldn't take a thursday to a saturday kind of thing physically mentally whatever it was he wasn't able to cope with it so why are we to believe that refs are an exception to this so I'm, i am i i'm not a conspiracy believer at all but why the hell should refs be allowed to ship out to saudi arabia for a thursday come back on saturday and then premier league and and referee a premier league game what kind of proprietary, if you don't want questions to be asked about, if you don't want conspiracy theories, then at least save your own ass man. Like make some basic rules that have common sense in them. The added thing and and, and this is where conspiracies, conspiracies are going to come from. Saudi is different. It's not the Bundesliga, it's not La Liga. Saudi is different. Saudi owns one of the clubs in the Premier League. Saudi offers people money that nobody else in the world is offering. You're opening yourself up to this kind of criticism, man. Anybody who has done some basic understanding of PR would know that this looks bad. So, I I mean, it's, it's, it's a little, just be a little careful on this. Set some rules, guidelines. You can't just let people go all over the place.
0: Yeah, and if you just want to make things worse on the conspiracy angle, as RK is uh, pointing out, it it wasn't Saudi, it was UAE, which which basically owns Man City, so it's it's a direct uh, championship rival. Which, I but, said Saudi uh,
2: because yeah, it's more, it, more in the news.
0: But. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just just going back before we move on from this, just going back to this uh, and the transcript. Replay operator, are you happy with this, assistant War, Yeah, yeah, offside goal. That's wrong. That does what? The VAR says, and then says, the on field decision was offside. Are you happy with this image? This image is on site, but the decision was given was offside. And VAR goes, Oh, expletive. I'm just reading out the transcript. And and the replay operator keeps trying to make things OK. He keeps trying to say, delay, delay. Ollie's saying to delay. Ollie's saying to delay. And the VAR keeps going, Pardon? Can't do anything. Ollie? Ollie's saying to delay. Ollie? Yeah? Delay the game? To delay the game? What? No, they've restarted. It's okay. It's 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 like something out of Looney Tunes. Imagine, imagine Ollie saying to delay. Ollie? Who Ollie? And and it's just so crazy. It's 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 an altogether amazing level of incompetence throughout. And leave aside the incompetence, as I said at the start as well. Just the amount of chaos that they're putting into the process. Even the process of evaluating a decision. They need to make it more simpler, more straightforward. I was listening to it. Maybe they're used to doing it, but six voices at the same time shouting at each other and you have to make a decision in five seconds. I'm not surprised they're, they're making such shitty decisions. I've, I'm probably expecting more to come in the next few days.
1: You know, unfortunately all this every week we talk about it and everyone talks about it, it just takes away, you know, all the focus from what are actually, you know, pretty good football matches as well. Spurs, have been having a really good start to the season. They have been riding this, you know, feel-good factor. And I think for a large part of the match, they re- did play well as well. I think uh, especially with 10 men, against 10 men, they, they did create chances. Uh, Looked like, you know, uh, that that they could basically finish one of those. But of course, we were also commenting on the group that, you know, ultimately, Spurs, you, you bank on them not to basically do what they're expected to do and take it down to the wire, which is... Kind of what happened, I think, after they got to nine men. I think nine men onwards, uh, for me personally, it felt like, you know, they were really toothless. They were not really threatening Liverpool at all. Uh, of course, credit to Liverpool as well. But when you are down to nine men, it shouldn't be about the opposition. It it becomes far simpler than, you know, just being 10 men, uh, you know, playing against 10 men. So, I, I think I, I expected a lot more from Spurs and I, I think there were a few managerial bloopers in there as well, like taking on taking off Son, taking off Madison. When you're trying to win a game, you have to win against nine. So, I think the, the, the result finally after really, really heroic resistance, as Radha said, a, a simple, you know, tired mistake by Matip kind of allowed Spurs to paper over the cracks, I feel. But but looking to their next fixtures, I think they have a good run. So, definitely expect them to, you know, keep getting the points and be in the, in the good news for a while more. But I think I am still looking for that, you know, slightly down the road uh, Spurs slump which i am not i am not writing off or something it's it's really good job that they're doing but i think spurs are getting a bit more kudos than i think they are performing the, like the level of praise and the points is more than the performance i feel
2: see i disagree with the last statement i think they're playing as well as okay from a results point of view maybe take maybe their points are a little bit ahead of what maybe xg would suggest and things like that but they are playing well and I'm not so interested in their performances against the big teams. I think they were completely second best in the Arsenal game and in the first half of the Liverpool game. But against the smaller teams, they are looking quite effective. So, I think they'll do well. Um, The only thing I will give them on their behalf is nobody knows really what to do with nine men. Um, And from a Liverpool perspective, even with 10 men, we were still looking to win the game. There were obviously going to be gaps. The moment it became nine, we took off our two strikers and we went five-three-zero, and these are like eight supremely fit, extremely good tactical, technical players. It is obviously going to be difficult to break down somebody who's put eight people specifically to do one job. I can I can sympathize a little bit with that. Uh, I think they were getting beat by ten men. Uh, so yeah, I think Spurs should have lost that game if we hadn't gone down to nine. Uh, Jota deserved the second yellow, but I still don't believe the first was a yellow. So again, questionable decision. We don't even, we didn't even talk about this given everything else that went on in the game. I, I, he was just running back when the first yellow happened. I still don't know what exactly happened for it to be a foul. The second yellow was obvious. He was silly. He needed to get that second yellow. Um, So all in all, I'm just overall just really furious. Uh, But the character from us, it didn't feel like a loss. It really in some, in some ways. Felt so reinvigorating for the fan base. I think it's really lit the fire on everyone. There's a proper siege mentality going on uh, anywhere that you look. Anybody who to do with Liverpool, I think the players are on social media. They look really up for this season, and and so am I.
1: Rather, we'll we'll come to how tough it is to play against ten men and nine men when we talk of United. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, now that we've talked about Spurs, I think it's fair that we talk about their neighbours as well. Arsenal, we we gave them a lot of credit. Okay, they're doing well and they're doing well in the Champions League as well. And they've gone on and just lost to Launce away two one. Uh, and and um, we'll we'll talk about the talkie game later as well. But obviously, it's got to be Arsenal Man City. That's that's not a confidence booster when you when you have to go and play the champions of Europe. Next, and even that, even such a game which can which is not a title decider right now, but it's it would be a big step for them if they were able to beat Man City. So, what are your thoughts on Arsenal? Uh, This blip that seems to have hit them they lost to Lawrence, they drew at home to Spurs, and now they have to face City and potentially without Saka.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we have talked about it in the past as well, where uh, you know, I was not really impressed by Arsenal for long patches of the season, Uh, there have been, you know, especially we talked about their issues in, uh, you know, ball progression. I I think till the United game, they weren't able to, or they weren't playing, uh, not able to specifically, but they weren't playing the best 11 uh, till till the United game. And after that, I think they got some rhythm going when, you know, they got Zinchenko back, they started getting Jesus back. So, definitely what seems to come out is that with their strongest team and with the, you know, pattern, the template that they know, they're still a good team. They won last weekend, I think, against Bournemouth 4-0. They had a couple of other good results as well. Uh, so, so they seem to do well when when they know uh, what they're doing, when they have those combinations that, you know, play for them week in, week out. But the moment they get a few injuries, uh, <clears throat> Saka has faced a couple of injuries now and probably again, he's he got an injury in the last game. Uh, you know, there was talk about him missing a few games as well, which, which didn't happen. But, you know, whenever these things happen and when the depth comes in, uh, Martinelli is not there now. So, you know, now you see the replacements uh, that there are, you know, real step down uh, on the the first teamers, especially maybe when we talk of Martinelli and Saka who offer real pace and trickery. And then you get people like Trossard and, uh, you know, uh, coming in who don't really offer that level of penetration. So. Definitely, Arsenal have not had as, uh, also like similar to Spurs, have not had as as convincing a start to the season as people seem to think, I feel.
0: Yeah, let's see. And obviously, uh, with the game at the weekend, we'll we'll find out more about uh, what this team is made of. Uh, but moving on for now, uh, FPL tips, Radhaji, I know you put... You pretty furious today. I've not seen you this angry ever, even when you were ranting about the state of the midfield in pre-season and stuff like this. Uh, Don't tell me you didn't have Oli Watkins in your team.
2: Yeah, I think I'm slowly becoming more and more like the person you shouldn't listen to uh, in fantasy. (laughs) Um, So my entire midfield, except for Saka, who, by the way, I had on the bench, because I, uh, I put Darwin into the starting lineup this time. Luckily, Darwin got subbed off and Saka came on and I got his 9 points. It was a pretty dire week for me. I got only 40 points. Um, and I've slipped down to 6th now. From 5 points away from the top of the league and not captaining Holland to now 6th place. Um, so yeah, from a fantasy point of view, I had Watkins at the start of the season. It was one of our picks. Um, one of our... We discussed it on the pod, Watkins and Isak were two people that we thought would be somebody you can bet on this season. But he's not really had that consistency of output. I think he's always been playing well, but he's not had the consistency of output. And he finally came good. Again, a freak result, right? So you don't see that happen to Brighton um, very often. But yeah, uh, they they got a spanking and Watkins made the most of that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he might be now in a good run of form. He's always going to get chances. That's kind of the reason why I took Darwin as well into my team. He's always going to get chances. So, it's good to have some people like this in your team. But uh, Haaland not scoring, uh, Foden not scoring, Mitoma not scoring, Luis Diaz, Madison not doing anything of note. Yeah, overall, S2 pretty opinion. bad week for me.
0: Estupinian minus, minus two. two
2: points. Yes. Yes, I, I completely forgot about that. Trippier with 12 points and I still struggled. So you can imagine how bad this week was for me. Yeah. I had Pedro Porro on 7 points on my bench also. So yeah, overall top-notch fantasy football from uh, for me. Yeah, I
0: think I, I think it's, it's going downhill for us. I think we're just going down the drain. But yeah, coming back to real football, uh, uh, RK, I want to talk about uh, United, but I want to give you time to do that. With at peace, so uh, you, we we talked about Villa and Watkins and that freak result. Uh, Chelsea, Newcastle, Villa, all these teams basically got wins. Uh, but another team that got a win was Wolves, surprisingly beating Man City, and uh, their social media account also a lot of pot shots at uh, Pep Guardiola because in the run-up to the game he had mentioned that oh they have these good attackers and they have this Pedro Neto and they have this Korean guy so when Huang actually scored Wolves basically just posted saying the Korean guy scores so it was it is good uh, comeuppance to Pep who, who, who I don't know it's, it's this very irritating habit of his where he keeps bigging up teams who he knows that he's going to basically slaughter and for once I think it's good that This has come back to bite him in the posterior. But yeah, uh, decent wins for uh, all these teams, apart from Villa, who actually slaughtered Brighton. As you said, a freak result. But yeah, some teams finally seem to be going in the right direction. Eddie Howe was apparently a threat of being sacked. But Newcastle are uh, seemingly moving in the right direction now. They have the Champions League game tonight as well. We'll see how that one goes.
1: You know, I I think what is really coming out as very important against Brighton is that you kind of, uh, you know, exploit the high presses, the high regains that you are inevitably going to get if you press well against them. So, it's very important in those moments to be really clinical. I think Villa were extremely clinical. They were helped by, you know, would you believe it, some really shit refereeing in that game as well. <laughs> but, you know, which is not a surprise anymore. But having, having There's that, a theme, Villa RK.
0: Were... There's a theme running through
1: all our games. Yeah. Every game, you can talk of real blunders. Uh, again, in, in that particular Aston Villa game, it was the striker standing right in front of the keeper and goal given. And, and I think, you know, there was a very clear and obvious foul as well which wasn't called and that immediately led to a goal. So, Brighton really had the circumstances against them but in uh, like the way that they reacted to it was pretty bland, I thought. Uh, they, they, they didn't really try to get back into the game in a right way. And Aston Villa were really, really smart and clinical. It almost reminded me of, you know, a real, you know, European team, the kind of team that kind of wins trophies in Europe. And then, of course, you think that, okay, you know, clinical teams like these, and then you have Unai Emery, who's, of course, a serial winner as well in Europe. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, you so can see Ar- where it comes from.
2: RK, uh, uh, apart, I, I actually thought they started off the second half really positively, in the sense that they had three substitutions they got. Um, they got some attacking players on the pitch, they got Anzu Fati, they had Tarek Lamte also come on and they really bossed it for the first 10-15 minutes of the second half and I think, okay, game on is what I, I texted on the group as well when they scored. Um, I think then Villa scored at the absolute perfect time and that just burst the balloon and after that it was a nothing game. But uh, I, was, I was actually impressed with their attempt to Brighton looked at it at halftime and said, you know what, three goals, we can do this. And they started off in that note and then it only lasted 10-15 minutes, unfortunately. But yeah, it was a pretty good game to watch. I think from an XG point of view, they were actually not too far away from each other. Uh, But yeah, Villa were just absolutely clinical uh, in their finishing.
0: Yeah. So now moving on to United RK. What's going on? Is this a player thing? Is this a manager thing? Rashford seems to be under quite a lot of scrutiny for his actions not passing to the strikers trying to take on too many opposition players twitter is a buzz with all of this and there are compilations counter compilations it's 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 normal to expect that there's always going to be some talking points but uh, i think it's it's been a pretty rocky road for around a month or so i would say and this galatasaray game is probably just added to the pressure considering another red card for Casemiro as well added to the injury crisis.
1: Yeah, you know, I I have spent most of my free time trying to think what's, you know, what all is going wrong and how do you explain it? And I have not got any closer to the answer because while you can explain what is going wrong, you can't explain why it should go wrong. So that is something which I am not able to get my head around to be honest that how a team which had reached a certain level at the end of last season which seemed to Make some really good signings at the start of the summer. Have a decent preseason, irrespective of results as well. You could see things developing suddenly. How does everything get blown out in the open air like a real explosion? You know where things, everything that you can think of is pretty much wrong. I, I after all these years of watching football, I, I think I'm pretty useless. That you know I am not able to really make head of tail of you know what is going on. So when the real crisis kind of started was I think against Brighton, where you know you could say that United had a really good start, had even a decent first half, and then Brighton made certain changes uh, in tactics and then started bossing the game. So that you could you know explain it away, and it was actually and ex- the explanation for that was that we were outfought, uh, out coached, and outplayed by the other team. You could say to a to an extent, even though United started the game much better. Similar to Aston Villa and they could, if they had been more clinical, they could again have, you know, got away with it, which is really important against Brighton. So that, that is something which you can still kind of, you don't lose too much sleep over it because okay, end of the loss to a better team, it can happen. Then you go to Bayern. Again, they play really good for the first 30 minutes and then suddenly and after 32 minutes, it's 2-0 down. Silly errors, which is one pattern which you will continue to see. Silly errors just keep getting repeated out of nowhere, Uh, and then United overall don't play extremely badly, but uh, you know very open. So that's the second theme on top of silly mistakes. Once you are chasing a goal, United are very very open, and the openness can come at any time. United score a goal, they can immediately consider really lose goal as they did against Arsenal and against Bayern. United concede a goal, they can very easily concede another one to go further into trouble. So, all these kind of mentality, concentration issues are, you know, what is coming up. And then you see results like, which are the most befuddling, of course, like Crystal Palace, where you don't, you barely concede any chances in the whole game. One of them becomes a goal. And then you spend the entire game in the most helpless, uh, you know, toothless fashion where you can't create chances. So, then you think it's a, it's also a balance problem where, you're trying to be too safe and you can't create anything. And when you try to be too positive and try to pass forward at every opportunity, then you end up creating some chances but you are really open at the back because you keep considering the ball again and again. So, it's everything that you can think of in terms of simple defensive organization. If you see the yesterday's game against Galatasaray, simple goals considered in the second half. High XG chances, maybe only 3 or 4 high XG chances in a game but you can't explain how a well-coached team can concede such chances. So, all things considered and then you think of man management, you think of games like Crystal Palace where you don't really see players motivated, you don't really see players really trying to have a lot of off-the-ball movement which you see with all the best teams, you don't see that happening and you think where is the motivation suddenly, where is the man management or I mean, what is wrong with, you know, how players are reacting. So, a lot of basically... You know, every way you think about it, it seems uh, you know it, it. seems confusing and befuddling as to how a team which is being coached by one of the better managers you thought in the game is suddenly come to this. But then you also think of Arsenal and Ateta and I think that's the only silver lining now for United fans where uh, there's no real way out of this by sacking the manager, I feel. You have to, I mean, what do you do if you sack Ten Hag? You sign another up-and-coming manager and then of course it's always going to become come back to this I, I can't see anything else happening with a with a different manager so i i am just wishing that you know all the noise about the manager dies down and he really gets one one and a half years more whatever happens but i mean i, I asked you guys this question at the weekend as well and i am really confused what do you guys think like how can something change so suddenly do you think i i
0: think it's it's a mixture of look uh, there are obviously off field things that have clouded quite a lot of things about man united this season the sancho thing the antony thing the greenwood thing all of these their impact the injuries to key players martinez out uh shaw out right from the start of the season or after one game something like that so a lot of plans like taking a separate example chelsea built their attack this season around in being in the second striker or the number 10 position and he was injured just before the start and ever since we've been playing catch-up in terms of formation. So you have that disruption right from the start of the season and it's been Varan, it's been Licha, it's been Shaw, it's been uh, Hoyland's non-availability at the start. Now Casemiro's uh, suspended. So there's there's no, uh, how do you say this? Uh, there's no consistency going around in, in the team selection because of that. So I think that's impacting that as well. But I think Along with that, it might also be, I don't know, discontent within the players that that, that has been banded around on Twitter as as a potential reason. Maybe there are Sancho sympathizing players who don't feel as into it now. Maybe they think that he's being made a scapegoat out of because there there have been things like, okay, Anthony has a domestic abuse charge on him and he's welcomed immediately back. Sancho is late for training and he's talked about as if he's a stepson or something like that. So, uh, I think a lot of these factors combined together uh, just creating havoc.
2: Yeah, see, I, I do think this is a factor. And I, I mentioned this on our group. I don't know how important it is. Maybe it has very little importance, but I do think it's a factor that players don't like when things that are happening inside the dressing room are paraded uh, in in public. Simply because they try to keep um, their public persona as fresh and you know likable as possible, because all their endorsements, everything about their image, everything is dependent on that. So players don't like when things that are discussed in inside the dressing room come out. And I mentioned this on the group as well, and this was a few weeks ago. Um, there are a lot of leaks coming out as well. Like, hey, this happened in training. This there's a segment of people who are now against Sancho in the club there are a lot of leaks coming through the the cracks at united as well and this could be a factor i'm not you can't write that off
0: but coming so, to sorry the... uh, uh, ratha i'm just interrupting you because i just remembered uh, towards the second half of last season chelsea had a similar problem of these leaks and there was a strong suspicion that mount or someone related to him was Part of this leaking mechanism, so now he's he's transferred to United, and, and maybe that's maybe that's causing the leaks in the roof. I don't so yeah, I don't think
2: I don't think Mount Mason Mount is the problem, but I think the profile is the right profile. What I mean by that is a youngster who's been at the club for a long time knows how the club works, knows a certain set of values of the club is feeling perhaps why not, why not somebody like a Rashford or a like somebody in that ilk who's been at the club for a long time and is just dissatisfied with how his friend Sancho is being treated. Perhaps. It could be something like that. I'm obviously not saying Rashford. I'm just giving you an example of the profile. But anyway, see for me that is one aspect and I think this will always be like a small aspect. I think the main thing is that this was supposed to be the season where Tenha gets to play his way. A lot of the recruitment, a lot of the preseason time because they actually got preseason time for the first time in two years only this year. A lot of the talk around uh, Manchester United was, wow, in our first season, we set a base like this. Now, just imagine what we can do once he actually gets the players that he wants, time to train, get his style of football in. It was just written off that the entire last season was just an adjustment season and it was not his style of play and that we are going to level up now. I think there's a lot of pressure that's been put on that. And the fact that I'm still not 100% certain that the recruitment has been right. I think Sofia Namrabat is a top top signing if this is the kind of system you want to play. But Mason Mount was playing that at the start of the season. Now, is Mason Mount the right person to be the supporting aide to Casemiro? That's a question. And you want to play this way where you're constantly pressurizing the ball. But you also need some backup for when you lose the ball. And clearly, Casemiro losing his legs has played a huge impact. So, I think a few of these things have happened all at one go. I think Casemiro losing his legs, along with the fact that he's trying to make it a more front foot, high press kind of system with new players in certain key positions. I think Hoyland is great. I think Hoyland is going to be a top class player for them. I think Mason Mount as a player is good. He's a very effective player who can be used well. So, I think the the ingredients are there, but this change in system along with new people, all of it is happening at the same time. And perhaps they were not there yet. I think the base had to be a little bit more settled from a defensive structure point of view before taking this jump. And if you remember the first few seasons of Arteta, I'm going to say the first two seasons with Arteta, they were a boring-ass club. They were terrible when it comes to attack. He spent two years of time just to get a defensive base set. Now, when he did try to make that jump to a positive transition team, even he struggled. And that was a time where we all said that, okay, this is when I think Arteta is going to get the sack, blah, blah, blah. But that transition season was very hard for Arsenal as well. So that's the hope that United fans can take. I think I'm still I'm still not 100% sold on uh, whether their personnel is perfect for the midfield if they're going to play such a high-energy, high-intensity game. Um, their right wing has obviously not been helped by all the off-field problems. So there are a few things that you can write off. And I think Ten Hag has enough in the bank right now to get some rope. But yeah, like we saw with Graham Potter as well, like the rope only lasts a certain amount. If if it keeps going badly, I think it's going to get really bad really fast, which hopefully won't happen.
1: Like you rightly talked about signings this season, right? And we need to talk about one of them. Onana has, I mean, I never thought I would say this again. Like a lot of things I never thought I would say about United, but I, I really thought he was going to be a great signing and probably he still will be can't really write it off completely yet but his his performances have been terrible especially what the, you know the basic things that you expect from a keeper especially in terms of shot saving i would say it's it's been really terrible his his i think the save percentage is very very low for him most of the shots that you feel are okay decent shots where you know it doesn't come directly at the keeper go into the back of the net uh, and he In the initial few games, he was really good on the ball. There were there were games where the opposition had to really adjust to the fact that Onana is playing out from the back. But last few games, that's not been the case at all. So, there's not real progression or you don't see a real identity happening just because Onana is there as opposed to De Uh He has the lowest pass completion rate of aerial balls. I think one of the lowest in the Premier League, 30%. So, it's not as if... One of the things that he was renowned for is a raking long ball that also doesn't seem to be working. His, uh, you know, short passing from the back doesn't really seem to, as of now at least, you know, resulting in the kind of easy building out from the back, opening up like how Brighton and used is what we had kind of thought that this is what Onana will kind of invite the press and allow us to, you know, quickly open up defences, that's not happening. So, on and off the ball, I think, especially in the last few games, he has been a real, real disappointment for me. So, that is one. Rashford, talking of players who had a great season last time, I think Casemiro, of course, Radha mentioned and that, that is probably something that's going to be a real nagging concern for us throughout the season, given his age. But Rashford has, I, I don't know if, whether to call it a surprise or not because he goes through these phases every so often. But the decision-making is so, so poor. Uh, we do get into good positions at times, but Rashford completely throws it away with the right op- uh, you know with a completely wrong option. The people who give away the ball the most are Casemiro and Rashford. Most of the time you see them. If United are having a bad game, these two will be completely you know serially giving the ball away. I think Mount. I I, I had my doubts about him when Mount was signed, but I think the last couple of games after the injury, I have been pretty uh, you know I I would say really encouraged by how he is picking up. I I especially the game yesterday. Uh, I saw the first half. And he looked and he looked really good. So I think Mount is one of the players who is coming on Hoylun as Radha said. Really good prospect, although he's gonna have his ups and downs. There are some really good young players in there who are trying to fill in the numbers, but you know, overall I think uh, I agree that there's too much flux, there's too many parts which are not working at all, like the centre backs, Lindelof having a terror season. And then you have players like Maguire and McTominay who couldn't leave the club, Vanderbeek. And they, whatever happens, they don't seem to get a chance. So definitely, people like, you know, McTominay, Maguire, Van Der I, I don't think they are good for the team atmosphere because, uh, you know, they must be feeling really hard done by that. Whatever happens, I, I don't seem to be able to get a game. Especially Maguire, the kind of goals that we are considering must be expecting to start. So, of course, I think there's a lot of things that Ten Hag needs to look at, but I think there's a lot of things that, United fans need to and the board needs to back him in the sense that people do learn sometimes on the job as well, especially coming from the Dutch league, etc., where you don't really get this kind of limelight. You you get to make a lot of mistakes in other leagues, but hopefully he gets a long enough rope for us to see better results.
2: See, I think the point you made... See, um, um, You mentioned Van Der Beek and I totally forgot that he existed in life. Uh, I just completely lost him from the face of the earth for a while. But yeah, I mean... But Maguire, right, that reminded me of um, uh, Conte at Chelsea, right? They just kind of, he created a very negative atmosphere when it comes to players who are not his choices. Now, if that is a concern, then yes, and you still have them at your club, it can become a brooding. Uh, and then it's not even a its not even a question who the leagues are. Like, you already know who the leagues are going to be in, in this kind of situation. So that's one. But, Arke, uh, the point you made about Onana is a very interesting one. I think um, I take for granted just how good Allison is at his job. I didn't even mention him during the game, but he made two incredible saves in the game uh, against Spurs as well. Um, so I was checking the stats when you mentioned that. So Onana is absolutely flat when it comes to uh, goals conceded versus expected goals, uh, post-shot expected goals, which means the average goalkeeper of the league or the world is will stop 0, like 0 positive, 0 negative. He's at 0.3 negative right now. So that's not the kind of performance that any top-level keeper would want. For context, Alisson is at plus 2 and Ariola is at plus 4. So that's the... They've already saved 4 goals and 2 goals for their teams respectively. So um, I think people who are flat and Digay has had a few seasons where he's been flat as well, closer to 0. So I think that's definitely, and you know, everybody is going to jump to that getting chipped while goal, which is not the problem. The problem is just about these basics. And I think the episode that you missed a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it, where he had a couple of errors in a week in, in the Champions League and in the league. And it was just not, it was just basic stop it, stopping of shots. It was not, nothing fancy. It wasn't about passing. It wasn't about positioning. Uh, so I think that's definitely something that will only come from confidence. And unfortunately, his confidence is a little down right now. So that's that's something to watch on. I mean, it'll keep all the entire defense will feel more confident with somebody like a confident onana behind
0: him. Yeah, and maybe it's also a factor that the defense in front of him is not settled. So that's also not giving him that confidence. But I always get this sense from him that he's one of those too intense guys in terms of okay, we have to do this, we have to save everything, I have to be aggressive, et etc. et cetera. And maybe that's hampering him during the games. But quickly wrapping up. Uh, this weekend, we have Arsenal-Man City, as we mentioned. So, that's definitely our talky game to watch. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Quickly, and uh, also another game to note is Brighton-Liverpool. So, that these two should be pretty fun to watch, particularly if it's 11 versus 11.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, uh, I mean... the things about Arsenal is, uh, <clears throat> in the game against United, and probably in this first game, I think I missed the episode after that, but Uh, Arsenal are really good on the press, like how Raza mentioned that, you know, Arteta worked first and foremost on that. So, definitely, even in this uh, slightly poor run that they are having this season compared to last, I'm not saying they're having a poor season by any stretch, but defensively, they still seem to be sound for me. I was very impressed with how, you know, they kind of uh, are able to press uh, the shadow as well, which means that they are able to press the man behind them as well in addition to being able to do high press. So, that's that's a very admirable kind of pressing structure that they have. So, and looking at uh, the first game of the season itself, they, they have a template to make things tough for City, where, uh, you know, they know how to basically crowd out the center of the pitch and uh, basically play a game of attrition against City. So that is some one of the things that they seem to be getting better at uh, in a couple of other games as well, uh, even against United. So I think I am expecting a pretty close game. They are playing at the Emirates and after the defeat against Lens. Intensity and wanting to prove something is not something that they will lack. But City will also have the same thing. After a very rare loss away against City, against Wolves and all the memes that came out of it, I'm sure that City will also, you know, Pep will be goading his players. He will be looking out for any lack of, you know, motivation, any sign of complacency in the players after what they have done recently. So, you know, that that kind of feeling will be there in both the managers and both the teams. So, But I, I, I expect a close game. Uh, at Emirates.
2: Yeah, I'm, I hope it's as close as nil-nil. That'll be perfect. I think... Um, okay, fine. 4-4. Four, four. At least we should get a good match to watch. But yeah, draw, please. Thank you very much. Liverpool-Brighton. I was looking at the games, Spurs and Brighton. I was always a little bit more worried about Brighton. Um, we've ended up losing Spurs. But I think there's a real now fighting spirit around the place. So, I think it's going to be a great game. And I'm optimistic about our chances in this game. Uh, I just hope uh, without without Jota and Gakpo's out injured as well and he went off in the game. Uh, Darwin is definitely going to start. It's going to be Darwin, Sala, and Diaz. I think that's a handful for any defence. So, I hope we can make them pay. It's going to be a great game. Uh, City's Arsenal, I think I agree uh, with, with RK. But yeah, he is hoping for a 4-4 draw. I just want Spurs to draw. Now that they've got two fluke points. I would like them to lose some points, please. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so fi- finally, the graciousness has left Radhaji's spirit and now he's proper full-on clop at the sidelines Liverpool version. Okay, so on that note, we'll close here, listeners, and we'll see you again next week uh, with the outcome of all both of these games and all the other ones as well, including the European games that are going on Today and tomorrow as well. So, on that note, uh, wish you a fond farewell and see you next week. Bye bye.